Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, November 7, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, and we are on page 156. We're going to start at the bottom of that page today. Here were the prospects, all right. Today's readers are Helena, Julie, Lisa, and Kathy Kay. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, November 6th, is 5411. That's 5411. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Diane G. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Diane um, from New Hampshire, 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. (coughs) Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane. I'd now like to ask Crystal, to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Crystal, recovered compulsive overeater. 
the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. First, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Second, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express, may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Third, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Fourth, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Fifth, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Sixth, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seventh, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eighth, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Ninth, OA as such ought never be drawn, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tenth, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleventh, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelfth, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Krista. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are in chapter 11, A Vision for You, and we are on the bottom of page 156, beginning with, here was a prospect, all right. And I am going to ask Helena to please get us started. Good morning. This is Helena, recovered in South Jersey. 
Here was a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room, we'll be down. Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows, and why this private treatment, this private room? I was always in a ward before, said one of the visitors. We're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. So I'd like to just make a few comments on this. First of all, just a quick overview and background. This is in a vision for you. We are being told here, once we have taken the steps and have recovered, as Bill and Dr. Bob, we will find an incredible fellowship by working step 12, by reaching out to others, and that some of those that we reach out to will seize onto what we have to offer through the directions here in the book and a wonderful fellowship will grow up around us and we are talking here about alcoholic number three who is um, in the hospital he's a lawyer according to the paragraph before that and he's usually a grand chap but when he's drinking he goes completely off and um, goes off his head completely and they've had to strap him down because he was so violent and uncontrollable when drinking. Um, so Dr. Bob and Bill are reaching out. This looks none too promising to them. that are a little hesitant. Uh, you can just imagine them taking a deep breath and one of them saying, uh, let's put him in a private room and we'll come down. And they waited two days until he's had chance for the medical treatment to uh, clear out the alcohol in his body. And now they're ready. They're ready, and it looks like a little hesitant. They're doing this because they know that they themselves need to reach out to someone, whether that person accepts what they have to give or not. For our own recovery, we have to keep reaching out to others. And it says, the use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. And what are those spiritual principles? It's the 12 steps, which is going to help this gentleman when he finally does accept and it's going to take him three more days, three more visits to accept when he does accept the principles, when he does accept the program and he does accept that he needs a power greater than himself in order to stop uh, drinking. Uh, This is all going to happen through the taking of the 12 steps and yet here they are just as we might be as we approach the first few people that we are hoping will listen to what we have to offer. We're not quite so sure. And yet, this Vision for You chapter is going to tell us how, although they weren't quite so sure, and they were just feeling their way along, doing what they had to in order to recover themselves, a wonderful, wonderful fellowship grew up, as it can for us. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Would anyone like to comment on these paragraphs? Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, all right, here, here, here are our our two friends, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, and they are sober. By the grace of God, they are sober. They are staying away from the alcohol, and somehow they figured out the two of them that if they carried the message to someone, 
if they shared what was happening to them, they got to stay sober. They got to stay recovered one more day. So they knew, it says, life was not easy for them, it had told us, and they saw that they must, must be spiritually active. Spiritually active. And what that meant to them was finding somebody else to tell, finding somebody else to share what they had found. So they went off to the hospital to see if they could find somebody. And one of the nurses said, yep, I've got a prospect. I've got a prospect. And she described him. She described him. He's beaten up a couple nurses. He goes off his head completely when he's drinking. He's a great guy when he's sober. And he's been in here eight times in the last six months. You know, that's the prospect that they're looking at. You know, he was a prospect all right, but by the description, none too promising. None too promising, but that did not stop them. That did not stop these two men. They carried the message to him. Two days later, let him get out of the alcohol, and then they went to see him. So he started, his, his mind starting to clear a little bit when they go to visit him. And he doesn't know yet what's going to happen. But the, but the big book gives us a little, a little uh, hint, a little, a little hint of what's to come, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous, a future fellow who sat there going, who are these two guys and why are they here in my room and why did I get a private room this time? But his mind is cracked open a little bit now. He's cleared from the alcohol, and that's what happens to us. That's what happened to me. I had to put the food down in order for my mind to be cleared a little bit so that I could hear this message of recovery. And the spiritual principles were not so well known yet because they didn't have the 12 steps all written down, the precise directions written out in this book like you and I know today. It was it was in its earliest inception, in its earliest beginning, but the most important thing was what we're reading right here. To carry the message was what was going to do it. Work with another alcoholic will save the day. Nothing so much ensures immunity as working with other compulsive overeaters. And that's what we're seeing played out here. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. I will, Janice. This is Lois from Massachusetts. Leah and then Lois. Monica. I'm also hearing Monica, by the way. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Janice, for your service um, this morning. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I just wanted to focus on uh, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. And as previously you know, stated, this is Bill D. Perhaps you guys are familiar with this painting, uh, Man on the Bed, you know, of of Bill W. and Dr. Bob sitting bedside uh, to Bill D. Um, he was, yes, hospitalized uh, six months. Uh, I mean, in the first six months of 1935, he was hospitalized eight times. So he had been beaten into a state of reasonableness. And... Um, 
you know, I'm just going to take liberty right now looking at uh, that chapter, Anonymous Number 3. I'm just going to read from page 185 for a moment. It says, um, and this is Bill D's words, it says, that was, she said, you're going to quit. That was worth a lot, even though I did not believe it. Then she told me that these two drunks she had been talking to had a plan whereby they thought they could quit drinking. And part of that plan was that they tell it to another drunk. This is going to help them to stay sober. All the other people that I had talked, that had talked to me, wanted to help me, and my pride prevented me from listening to them and caused only resentment on my part. But I felt as if I would be a real stinker if I did not listen to a couple of fellows for a short time, if that would cure them. She also told me that I could not pay them, even if I wanted to and had the money, which I did not. They came in and began to give me instruction in the program, which later became known as Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, You know, Bill W. and Dr. Bob had been sober just a brief time. Bill had been sober six months, about seven months, actually, and Dr. Bob a few weeks. But they had a plan here. This was far more than just mere um, mere elimination of alcohol. This was dealing with the greater aspect of their disease, and they had a message to carry. These these men, uh, Bill and Dr. Bob, had recovered. They had been restored to sanity. They had soundness of mind. They had had a spiritual awakening. Uh, They had been freed from this beast of alcoholism, and they had a job to do. God gave them this responsibility because they knew more about recovery from alcoholism than anybody alive. God had equipped them with some very, very unique knowledge to help some very, very unique group of human beings, alcoholics. And they are now using that dark past, which is their greatest possession, uh, to help another person, to help another suffering alcoholic. That was the key uh, to their life and to happiness to others. Um, This opportunity to literally avert death in other people. And that's exactly what Bill and Dr. Bob are setting out to do. They have a treatment for alcoholism. What they're going to do, there's a very specific technique that's going to be laid out here where they aim to produce a crisis relating the seriousness of their own experience to Bill D. They're going to turn the, the screws by dwelling on the hopeless feature of our malady. The allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Very specific technique that Bill and Dr. Bob are about to use. It's not about the physical. Bill D. had been dried out eight times already within six months. Drying out, merely eliminating alcohol does nothing for the greater aspect of the disease. And that's true for you and me. Eliminating uh, the substances that trigger our allergy does nothing for the greater aspect of our disease, which is the obsession of the mind. So they're going to outline a plan because there is a way to live for Bill D where his mind is not going to have to lock on that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a first drink. And that process is called recovery, and that's what this is all about, implementing the steps to be recovered. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Next, Lois and then Monica. Go ahead, Lois. Uh, good morning. Um, 
Good morning, Janice, and vision for you and everyone on the line. This is Lois, uh, recovered in Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, this, this is so simple. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's genius. When I, when I think of what we just, the few sentences that I just read and thought about, you know, in another program, I used to hear them say, you know, you, you can be, you don't, you can't be too stupid. You can't be too stupid to understand this program, but you can be too smart. And, you know, if, if we just keep it simple, that the simple words that I just heard and hopefully digested, it, you know, is so valuable for me, first of all, as a recovering compulsive overeater and also as, as, a, as a sponsor and as a sponsee that, you know, that the, the knowledge that, first of all, that Bill had been um, hospitalized, did you say eight times in six months? something like that, you know, is so helpful for me when I, when I hear, when I have a sponsor in the beginning, kind of like putting them in a private room, you know, I talk to my sponsee for a couple of days until I get to know the person, and that's like putting them in a private room, ask them to, you know, to abstain from, they have to be, you know, free of their drugs of choice for a few days, and then I have to, you know, I have the uh, privilege to say that, you know, I am going to offer you through this big book and, and my group, you know, a, a treatment for compulsive overeating. And that is such the simplicity of it. And then when, when, I've, when I've had people uh, pick up the food within a couple of days or so, and sometimes I never hear them again, you know, because they, I know, because I've been there before, I have picked up more than eight times. I wasn't hospitalized, but I, I could have been. And um, as, if, they, if they don't call me, you know, I haven't had the chance to tell them about, you know, Bill picking up. This is so beautiful, how it begins. And to, uh, to reduce the, the shame or the, the guilt that people have when they pick up again. And if we can just, you know, reach, these, reach my sponsees and, and just read this to them and offer it to them and be, remember the page and send them there. It is such a hopeful thing. And for me, you know, I really have to keep it simple because I've always been a seeker and a learner and I want to understand, you know, many different aspects of the disease. I've always been a reader of addiction. You know, it's so simple. And the, and the more recovery I have, it just seems as though the more simple um, words and phrases reach out and, and grab me that, you know, this is a simple program, not easy, but simple if you're willing to go to any lengths. And uh, thank you, and I'm going to pass. Thank you, Lois. And go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I only got a couple little things here to say here because everybody so nicely has said what I was going to say. Anyway, so here we have, this is Bill D. He's going to be AA number three. Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. All right, so we've been we've heard a little history here that he's been in the hospital eight times in the last six months. You know, that's more than once a month there. This guy's been in the hospital. And um, they had him shackled down. They had him strapped down for a couple of days here. So now apparently he's unstrapped, and but he's still, you know, his eyes are glassy. Things are still not doing too good, and and he's he's looking up at these two guys. Who are you fellows? You know, Doctors 
um, Bob and uh, Bill Smith. I think they're both kind of tall. And why this private room? I was always in a ward before. Well, you know, back then in the in the 30s in the hospitals, you had hospital wards. And that's where most patients were, in multiple bedrooms. And to have a private room, uh, that was like, you know, you were dying. That was serious business. And here he is, he comes through, and he's in a private room. Can you imagine the fear? Uh, what was going on here? Was he dying? And... Um, and he'd been um, talking with his wife, and she told him about these two fellows. And we're going to hear the rest of this story. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? Well, let's move on to the next uh, two paragraphs. And Julie, could you read that for us? Hi, I'm Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater in California. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, Oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here, I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. And, you know, I've already had highlighted here, I, 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 I. There's four I's there. And, you know, when we're not yet in our relationship with our higher power, it's a very self-centered. And that's the whole part of that beginning of, of us understanding the disease. And when he talks about hopelessness was written large on his face, I mean, that's where we're at, you know, when we have that gift of desperation that we have to have before we can move on. You know, having that, we don't think there's any chance of being recovered. There's no solution. I'm, all I know is the disease. I don't know anything else. And it's so clear here that he is so into that. And that's the perfect place to be. Because I know for me, I needed to be hopeless. Or I was still into ego. that I could find another way. You know, the next diet was going to work. Or the next meditation was going to work. Or the next pill was going to work. You know, and I, and I look back at the very beginning of the foreword when it talks about we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. So, you know, he's exactly where he needs to be so Dr. Bob and Bill can share that message. Because if I didn't have that desperation, if I hadn't hit my bottom, if I hadn't felt that I was already in hell, then I couldn't have accepted that there was something out there that was going to change. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, step one clearly states, you know, we're powerless. And uh, it's a great place for him to be, even though he didn't feel it, but that's the beginning of his recovery. So it's just an exciting place. It doesn't feel exciting for the newcomers if there's anybody here, but that's exactly where you need to be because you need to be out of self. So that's all I have to say. Pass. Thank you, Julie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one. Go ahead, Ms. Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face. 
in that next paragraph. That's me. That's me. I drink like that. You know, this this is a very we learned in working with others. They have a very specific way that they approach people, and this hopelessness was written large on the man's face. Was great because it's only when we're hopeless that we're going to be open to this radical, radical solution. Because we, we're out of options. We've looked and we've looked and there's no more door number three. We're either going to go towards alcoholic destruction or we're going to seek spiritual help. And it's only in understanding the alcoholic destruction that we're going to be open to spiritual help. So they didn't come in and they didn't rant at Bill and they didn't tell him how awful he was and that you, how, what a loser you were for coming into the hospital eight times in the last six months. They told him about their experiences. And his eyes started to widen because, wait, I've done that. I've hid my bottles. I've woken up not knowing where I was. I mean, I remember coming into OA and hearing the things that I was most ashamed of, going through fast food restaurants, drive throughs and ordering for fictitious people and sitting in the back of the parking lot and binging my brains out getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to dig in the trash to get the food I swear I wasn't going to eat. Those are the things that made me go, oh my God, I'm home. But we've got to get beyond that. I've often heard the only thing we, I have is my story. And that is not true today. My story will hopefully hook someone in to say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. But my experience in and of itself could kill somebody. What do I have today? I have this big book. I have clear-cut directions. I have a way out that if someone will allow me the privilege, I can take their hand, lead them through this book so that they can have their own spiritual experience and they can go to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. Because my experience cannot help anyone on this line unless it motivates you to do this work yourself. Because in and of myself, my experience will not get you recovered. Hopefully my experience will touch something in you, that hopelessness that is written large on many faces when I go to LA rooms, so that you will walk through these pages yourself. So Bill and Bob are simply letting him know they've been there and they have a way out if he wants it. If he doesn't want it, that is fine too. So if you want this program of recovery, we are laying the spiritual toolkit out at your feet. But it's only by picking it up and doing that toolkit, which is the 12 steps, by yourself, that you will create a spiritual experience and a connection with your higher power, which will allow you to no longer want your binge food. Not that you can control it, not that you can resist it, but you will no longer want it. And then you can then carry that miracle to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, when I walked into the rooms, I don't know about you, but when I walked into the rooms, I was desperate, and I knew I was doomed. I knew I was doomed. And that's what I see, hopelessness, on this man's face, he says. Because they say, we're going to give you a treatment for alcoholism. And he thought to himself, if he was anything like me, he thought to himself, been there, done that. I had tried everything. I had tried everything. 
I did not see any way out of where I was. I had tried every self-help book. I had tried counseling. I had tried therapy. I had tried commercial weight loss programs. And sometimes I could lose the weight, but I could never stay stopped. Inevitably, eventually, I would always pick up again. And then I'd be off and running. So I could relate to that hopeless feeling. Nothing would fix me, he said. I'm a goner. The last three times, I got drunk on the way home from here. You know, how many times has that been me? How many times have I said, I'm never doing this again? Mm -hmm. I'm never doing this again. Mm. And then I would find myself, you know, filling that extra grocery bag that I had to have on the front seat of the car with me on the way home. Mm -hmm. The rest of them in the back. Because I knew, I knew I couldn't make it home without diving into that bag. And how many times had that been me? So I could relate to the hopelessness that he was feeling. One more treatment, somebody's got one more idea, well, I've tried them all, I would say to myself. And he was saying to them, I'm afraid to go out the door. And then he said, I can't understand it. I can't understand it. And if you're anything like me, maybe you've gotten to that place where you can't understand it. Why can't I stop? Why can't I stay stopped? That was the dilemma that this man was facing. And here were two men who said they had yet a treatment for him. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? This is Nancy. Leah. Nancy and then Leah. Thank you, Ms. Genesis. This is Nancy, compulsive reader in Lewiston, Idaho. Um, as has already been said, you know, the first word of that paragraph is hopelessness. And um, I, for one, know a lot about that feeling of hopelessness, as I've heard people share. And um, as, you know, Bill and Dr. Bob approached him and told them what they were there for, he's like, oh, well, that's not going to be any use. I mean, I can almost see the guy's face kind of falling like, oh, you know, I've tried everything. I've done that. Nothing's going to fix me. I'm a goner, you know. And I remember feeling like that and even um, a little bit different than this guy's story because this is the first time he's approached by people from Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, the things that he's tried before have been the hospital treatments and the medical treatments. He's never been presented with this program before. And when I finally got to that level of hopelessness, I had been in program, in and out of program several times. And so I could just see my face go, yeah, I've tried that. It doesn't work for me. And thank you, God, that um, my and my relapses were starting to last not days, months. And um, I knew that I was headed downhill. And I really had that hopelessness. I didn't believe that even OA was going to work for me. But when I was approached, when I had been um, in the disease for four months, every single day, just, you know, dying slowly one day at a time is what I was doing, I talked to a woman who... Um, approached me and was just, she was doing exactly what these guys are doing. She was sharing um, her story with me. And, you know, the thing that made me willing was I knew that, well, at least I can get abstinent. That was my thought. I knew that the program, I could get abstinent. I could put the food down. And I knew that when I was abstinent, at least I felt better. But I still had that doubt. I still had that doubt that, that, you know, we'll revisit this again because it doesn't work long term for me. Thank you for the people that opened up the big book with me 
and started at the face page and turned right one page at a time and showed me how to work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous according to the big book. They didn't give me a whole list of questions. They didn't give me um, all these other things to do. They didn't. um, It was just getting into the book and following the directions. When we came to a direction, we I did it. And what that did was enabled me, just as the book promises, enabled me to find a power, a relationship with a power greater than myself that would not just solve my eating problem, but all the other problems in my life too, if I would just be open-minded and willing to do a few, um, a few things. And so I went from this alcoholic number three's hopelessness state. I've been there. I understand that hopelessness and not believing it's going to work for me. And even if you go down there, you can see that even after they told him a little bit about their stories, he still had doubt. You know, you guys are somebody, I'm nobody. I mean, I can't remember how it goes on, but we'll be getting there. But um, I, you know, and the other thing that came to mind I just wanted to point out was that um, Bill and Bob are giving us a great example of how to approach a prospect. And when I look sometimes now um, in the program and I, you know, see lots of people looking for sponsors and stuff, and um, um, and I, I belong to both fellowships, OA and AA, so, um, but I just see how it's kind of been watered down sometimes about how we approach people and we like to pick and choose. And, and so um, this is reminding me of what we do. My job is just to tell my story. That's it, hands down. I'm not a teacher, I'm not a lecturer, I'm not a professor, I'm not an expert on the big book. I just simply tell my story and I lay out this spiritual toolkit that is contained within the big book and then the rest of it is between them and their higher power. And so this is a really good example of how to work with another prospect too. So anyway, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Janice. For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences over and over. He would say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. And that is the power of identification. I mean, there's nothing like, um, you know, standing in front of, uh, you know, a room of compulsive overeaters um, with newcomers, you know, amongst that group. And you start seeing the tears build up in their eyes and start to fall down their cheeks um, as you tell your story as a recovered compulsive overeater. And that is, that's our power. You know, that's where we get to use that dark past of ours. It is our greatest possession that we have. And that's exactly what uh, Bill Wilson and, and Dr. Bob are doing. They are sharing their personal experience. They are building a bridge between themselves um, and Bill D. And they're not doing it through uh, some intellectual dissertation. They're doing it that I lived in that hell, that I, I suffered um, from the pain and humiliation of this disease. It's a very specific strategy that we have, and it, and it differs from all the wonderful physicians out there and psychiatrists out there and, you know, myriad of doctors. They certainly um, have uh, a function, an important function out there, but they differ um, from what we can do. We carry a message of depth and weight because we have walked in in um, a still-suffering compulsive overeater's shoes. You know, I was a compulsive overeater my entire life. 
<laughs> thousands of binges, eating off the floor, eating out of garbage cans, eating frozen food and burnt food, binging on my way to meetings, binging on my way home from meetings. Uh, you know, I know what it's like to sit in a parking lot, in a car for hours upon hours upon hours while I have a loving husband waiting at home and I'm busy binging my brains out until my eyeballs ache. I know the feeling of having headaches. I know the nausea. I know the stomach ache the next morning. I know the hangovers. I know what it's like to live an obese body. I know what it's like to purge my guts out over a porcelain bowl. I know the medical consequences of being fat, of being anorexic, of being bulimic. I know the shame. I know the humiliation. And I know what it's like to live as an active compulsive overeater. On the other hand, <laughs> I'm happy to announce that as a result of coming to Overeaters Anonymous and getting a copy of this book that we study every morning and under the guidance of a man who knew what he was talking about because he too had trudged this path and performing the requirements that are out, uh, outlined in these steps, I'm happy to announce I have not changed my mind about taking that first compulsive bite since January 19, 1987. And that is nothing less than a miracle. And that's the same strategy that Bill and Dr. Bob are using here. They are sharing their stories. What it used to be like, what happened, what it's like now. A recovered person has that power. And it's God-given. We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. This is not about personal recognition, personal power, personal success at all. This is about what happens when you get the, the, the crap beaten out of you by this disease and you submit yourself to the process of these steps and to the God of your understanding. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd just like to comment on and build on, on what's already been said, you know, that, that identification process, that identification process. You know, that is so important. It was important to me sitting there having somebody tell me their story, someone who could say to me, this is how I ate. This is how I ate. And we could laugh about it. And it could bring me to tears because I could identify. And some of those experiences seemed so absurd. And I would say to myself, thank God, somebody else gets it. Somebody else gets it. And it was the first step in that identification process. The first step in that identification process. I could relate. I could relate because they were like me. They were like me. You know, they weren't up on some spiritual high top speaking down to me. They were right there with me, walking alongside me saying, I am like you. I am like you. I ate like you ate. I had that hopelessness like you have that hopelessness. I've been there. I've been there. And over and over, what did Bill D. say? That's me. That's me. I drink like that. I drink like that. That first step forward out of the hopelessness was
someone else like me sharing their experience with me, sharing their experience with me so that I could see I was not alone, so that I could begin to say there are other people like me. There are other people like me. What an important thing to identify in, to identify in. You know, the delusion was starting to be smashed. Thank you, God. You know, that I was like other people, that I was like these other people. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? All right, Lisa, could you please read for an hour and then the next paragraph after that? Uh, Yes, good morning. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa Renee from South Jersey, recovered. Um, For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over he would say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. Yes, that's me, said the sick man. The very image. You fellows know your stuff all right, but I don't see what good it'll do. You fellows are somebody. I was once but I'm a nobody now. From what you tell me, I know more than I, I know more than ever, I can't stop. At this, both the visitors burst into a laugh, said the future fellow anonymous, damn little to laugh about that I can see. (laughs) And I, that is so funny because, um, you know, I remember my first, this paragraph reminds me of my very first um, OA meeting. And uh, I was just like this guy, you know, a mess. And this woman was talking to me, and she was sharing her story and everything, and, and I was just like him. And she was laughing and giggling, and I'm like, what is so funny? Um but what I've learned in this program is to lighten up. You know, um, <laughs> the big book says we are not a glum lot. And I tend to be the kind of personality that takes myself so, so seriously. And this program, doing these steps, doing this work, working with others, it's not funny. The disease is not funny, but I can laugh at myself today and um, that's one of the greatest gifts of this program I love how the book gives such clear instructions on how to work with others and approach other people and but I, you know I've learned that a sense of humor is really really helpful in my own life and in working with the people that I'm privileged to uh, take through these steps And um, thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Lisa. Would anyone like to comment? Yes, Sharon. And who is this? Barbara. Go ahead, Barbara. Okay. um, Thank you for uh, letting me share, and thank you for your service. Um, 
I hopelessness was on his his face, and he, he's saying over and over, he'd say, "That's me, that's me. I drink like that." And the thing that I I really didn't get for a long time was that you know this being able to say that's me, I drink like that was was actually the most hopeful thing that I could possibly say. Um, that and I had to have that said to me by a sponsor, and then a sponsor telling me how to sponsor other people by you know, helping them to get to the place where they can say, "That's me. I drink like that." Um, I just never really understood how powerfully hopeful that was to be able to say that and just read the stories, hear the stories, listen to people share. And even if you're not saying it out loud, even if we're not saying it out loud, just as as many times as we can say, that's me, I eat like that, then we have some hope. Um, One of the things that I I always return back to is uh, we have the capacity to recover if we can be honest and, you know, that is a deep, deep level of honesty. The other thing that I wanted to say was this, this idea of them laughing. I mean, the notion of going into a group of people and I'm sharing and they start to laugh. I had always associated that who wouldn't with just humiliation. You know, as a kid, you're in a group of people, you start talking, and you're a group of other kids, and they they laugh at you. What does that mean? That means that you don't belong to them or belong there, and they're letting you know that. And in our fellowship, it means just the opposite. It means that you are, we're laughing because you're one of us. Um, And I, I just, I guess I just feel really grateful to have stuck around the rooms enough to have learned both of those things um, and how hopeful they are. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Barbara. And who else wanted to share? This is Kathy Kay in Boston. Oh, go ahead, my dear Kathy. Thank you, Janice. Thanks for your service. Um, I'm Kathy, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm just getting so much out of this reading and sharing today. And I wanted to comment on the sentence, there was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. You know, I had to hear that many, many, many times over before I got it. Um, I was so focused on staying abstinent, um, which I wasn't able to do very successfully for long periods of time until until I began to hear about the mental obsession and the greater aspect of our disease. I, I came into program thinking I wasn't perhaps as um, sick as other people because I didn't have much weight to lose, and yet I couldn't stay abstinent and um, I lived most of my daily waking hours in anxiety or depression. And it wasn't until I was really educated by my fellows about the mental aspect of this disease that I really understood the serious nature of it for me, for me, and that the weight was just a symptom, and in my case, not as much of a symptom as my um, mental state, which was so negative. 
Um, so uh, I really I'm so grateful for for all the people who shared and and talked about their mental state both um, while they were eating and preceding the first break and even after being abstinent uh, for a long period of time. I know today, and all of us know, that um, we have to continue working the spiritual program in order not to go back into uh, the, the obsession of the mind and all that comes with that. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to comment? This is Debbie. Monica. This is Sharon. Okay, who, Debbie? Debbie's here. And Sharon? And Sharon. Monica. And Monica. Okay, we'll start with Debbie. Thank you. This is Debbie in Montana, recovered today. Uh, I just wanted to thank everyone for the sharing. Um, the help that I've gotten today is in working with others. I've definitely gotten some insight into how I can maybe help others that um, that do come with the helplessness on their face. So I just wanted to thank everybody for sharing, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Debbie. Go ahead, Sharon. Thank you, Janice. This is Sharon. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hello. Okay, recovered compulsive overeater in uh, Colorado, and um, I'm just going to pick up on that uh, uh, paragraph where it says he was told uh, about how this uh, disease uh, deteriorates the body and warps his mind, and there was much talk about the mental state preceding that first drink, and um, I'm just so grateful for this program because I'm one of those that has been uh, abstinent, not abstinent, unable to stay stopped. And I had, um, because of my growing up years and what I experienced, I had a very uh, fear of mental illness because uh, I lived that in my own home with my mother. And I, I didn't want anything that would say that something was wrong with my mind. And, uh, and I know that that was part of it, but the other part of it with because I did find uh, freedom from alcohol and have for many years. However, with it, when it came for the, for the food, um, I, I did not, I just could not connect the dots over to the seriousness, the fatality of that same uh, warped mind and body regarding the food addiction. Uh, I used so many excuses. I was never extremely overweight. In fact, I was so obsessed with trying to stay thin and and find this diet and that diet. And you know, and, but the problem was, uh, over time, I could not even stay on the diet long enough to lose the weight, much less fear of gaining it back. So, um, I just love the way that they approach this man. They, too, understand how serious it is, and yet they can laugh at themselves, too, because no one can reach another alcoholic like another alcoholic can who's recovered. And that is the gift of this program, because I, too, always have taken myself so way too seriously. But this disease is very serious, and so uh, I'm just so grateful that 
you know, coming through this book the way I've been uh, doing it and uh, starting uh, listening when I had the privilege to start listening when they were in the doctor's opinion. And that just made the biggest difference for me. And this is helping me understand so much um, the privilege that will be given to me when I start uh, uh, sponsoring other people to know how important it is to uh, be so completely honest about the devastation of this illness but then to know the incredible, incredible ability to live in the solution. And um, there's no greater gift from God than that. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Janice, and thanks to everyone out on the line. Thank you, Sharon. And go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Janice. This is Monica. Um, so here we have here these couple of paragraphs here. The big book is giving us the steps of how to sponsor here, how to meet, how to approach somebody. And, and the first paragraph, you know, for one hour, they told their personal stories of drinking. So this man could identify, you know, as a compulsive overeater, to hear another compulsive overeater tell the same things I've done that I could identify with, made me comfortable, gave me uh, a little hope, or, you know, I could identify. I would listen. Let's put it that way. Monica would listen to that person. And then in the next paragraph, they then do what is, what's the next step? They then explain the disease, the disease of alcoholism. They explained about the allergy of the body and they're explaining about the obsession of the mind and getting it across that we are different from normal people because we have this abnormal reaction. And when I heard that, that gave me a lot of hope. Hey, I'm not just a big person with an L on my forehead. There's something physically wrong here. I have an allergy. I have a disease. Great hope. And then a couple paragraphs down, we're going to hear, we're going to read about the third step of this process, and that's what I wanted to share. Thank you very much. Thank you, Monica. Well, I see it's time to close today, so thank you to everyone who has shared. Very good meeting. Thank you so much to Diane and Crystal for reading the steps and traditions. And for Helena, Julie, Lisa, Kathy Kay, everybody who shared today, thank you so much. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. So Kathy Kay, could you please read that for us? Uh, yes, I'd be happy to. Thanks, Janice. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.